Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, when the head of a cryptocurrency exchange suddenly died, his clients lost access to millions of dollars in Bitcoin. Was that the plan all along? We'll review Exit Scam. Then a series of bombings rocked London's black and gay neighborhoods. Can a regular chap-turned-spy find the neo-Nazi behind the attacks? We'll talk about Netflix's Nail Bomber, Manhunt. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and true crime co-author, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. I'm not the love of your life anymore. Oh, you know what? Only because you're wearing that shirt and those shorts. Otherwise, you are, though. 100%. Okay, it's the shirt is the Crime Writers On shirt that... You know, if you subscribe to the newsletters, there's always new merch involved, yeah, yeah. and so there's the four of us, the cartoon faces. But this one's crime. vintage. Yeah, it's vintage. Well, it's because I've been wearing it all the time. Yeah. And what about my shorts? And this is the one with the disputed Toby Chin situation. Oh, <laughs> right. It's the old Toby. The old no, no, Toby had three that. chins. I actually believe that Toby was actually looking down when the photo was taken yes. that the drawing was made from, because Toby, like, there's a lot of chins. It's a very disputed piece of art. Toby, Jeff Lasseter just hates you. He's the artist. <laughs> Jeff Lasseter, we we have a huge feud going. (laughs) Also with us is author, private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and former Fenway virgin, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. Yeah, I am 44 years old, and I finally went to my first Red Sox game. Yes. How was it? Uh, well, it was good, except it got rained out like oh. halfway through. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like a Red Sox game. <laughs> well, you know so. what? You only had to watch half of it, so that's like a plus. What was the capacity? Were they they weren't at a hundred percent? No, I think they're opening up to a hundred percent on Friday. So hmm. there was definitely like seats blocked off. Like they had the seats like zip tied up, so you couldn't even put ah. certain seats down, which was kind of interesting. So you got all the fun without the boredom of watching baseball. Yeah, I, although I. I I can totally get behind baseball because you don't have to pay too much attention. Yes. And it's kind of relaxing. There's not as much violence as football. And, you know, I could kind of get behind that. So I have a whole idea for baseball. I'm just going to share it right now. And if some enterprising sports producers out there listening, here it is. 
For live fans who want to show up late or for TV people who don't care about, like, most of the game, just the results, you know the seventh inning stretch? They should produce a montage of the first seven innings so that you can show up to the field, just watch a montage on the screen, and then just sit for the last two innings. Or turn on your TV, watch a montage, and then just watch the final two innings. Is that not a brilliant solution to the baseball conundrum? Says the person who does not like sports. <laughs> yeah. I like sports, just that, not that one. Okay, sorry, I've Kevin. got a great That's way called, of... like, Cliff Notes baseball. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. i got a great way of fixing HGTV and me. What's that? How about just the reveals? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I have a whole idea for an HGTV spinoff channel that's just the reveals. That would be amazing. Yeah. Just the reveals. Okay. Finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast from iHeart, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, you are wearing very little clothing. You look very hot. What is going on? (laughs) It's like... 95 degrees in here. Oh, that's not the kind of hot I was talking about. So it's literally <laughs> that, was the, that was the way I oh. chose to interpret it. Um, Toby's wearing a basketball Yeah, uh, I'm wearing a basketball yeah, a jersey that jersey. I got for it's a Stephen Adams jersey. He's All I a, know is I see a lot of triceps going on there. Toby's clearly been lifting. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to pump out some curls in between He's my talking do some moments. Dips when yeah. Laura's talking. Oh. So, Kevin, um, before we start the podcast, I have a quick maybe congratulations for you. Yeah. Weather dependent. Right. By the time this podcast drops, you may be a certified New Hampshire. No. Baseball umpire. No, it's a two-year program. Oh, shit. Oh. You still pass the first year. <laughs> okay, so you'll be a halfway I'll be, certified. I'll be asked to now take a written exam. <laughs> I'll be invited to the written exam. Nice. Isn't your wow. field test after we tape this before it drops, if the yeah, storms yeah. happen? Yeah, it looks like there's rain, and it's a tournament, so there's like a bunch, a whole bunch of games happening, and so I have to do two games, one game behind the plate and one game on the bases, and... Uh, I was basically told if I show up, I'll pass. Yes. So nice. it doesn't really matter, you know, what my strike zone is like. Yes. But I'm still working it. I'm working it. So I, for those of you who have missed the last couple episodes, Kevin has taken on a new avocation as a high school baseball umpire, which is the greatest thing to ever happen to our family. Yeah, I just go for the montage in the seventh <laughs> inning. No, no, no. That's right. It's the greatest <laughs> thing to ever happen to our family because it brings you joy. Okay. You have a bunch of new clothing hanging in your office of your baseball attire. Oh, yeah, including my <laughs> athletic supporter. And we have amazing stories to talk about over dinner, like that time you sent a catcher in high school out to scold the pitcher about some shit he was doing so that you didn't have to do it. That's why the umpire has a rapport with the catcher. <laughs> you want to keep your guy in there. You tell him to go out there and shut the fuck up. Yes. I didn't say shut the fuck up, but that's you what I You told mean. Yeah. a high school student to wow. go admonish another high school student. I love that tactic. Yeah. I love it. Oh, the the other umpires loved it, too. I got high points for that. Nice. nice. All right. So you're almost there? I'm almost there. You're almost yeah. halfway there. I'm halfway, halfway there. there. Yeah. <sighs> Can't wait. I can't it's wait. Like next year, baby. It's like halfway to Christmas. Christmas in July. Yes. The thing is, if you pass the apprenticeship, what happens is that you get patched. means you get a patch that you get to wear on your shirt. It's like Ooh. getting a coat when it's you're like a, a doctor. like a biker gang. Yeah. The, the, up, <laughs> the upside, though, is that when I bought the shirt, it already came with the patch. <laughs> so I guess I could just 
fuck off for a while. Yes, and, yeah. and, and Toby is now a current team member of the Thunder because he has the jersey. He bought the basketball that's, that's jersey. True. He came with the number. Yeah, so. <laughs> it came with the name on the back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's my sh- exit scam. <laughs> should we just go ahead and start our podcast now? Mm-hmm. Let's get it done. Leading off. The doctors revived him and put him on a ventilator, but he went into cardiac arrest again. He was revived one more time, but then his heart stopped for good. And at 7.26 p.m. on December 9th, 2018, Gerald Cotton was pronounced dead. Gerald Cotton was the head of Canada's largest Bitcoin exchange. While on his honeymoon to India, Jerry became ill and died of complications from Crohn's disease. His sudden death left the exchange in the lurch because no one else had the password that controlled the hundreds of millions of dollars in cryptocurrency. Because a lot of people have lost the Bitcoin, a lot of Bitcoins. They're just sort of floating around there. They're, they're not retrievable at all. It's like burning cash in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's next to impossible to ever recover those coins. But the circumstances of his death and loss of their money made investors ask the question, did Jerry fake his demise to either cover substantial losses or to abscond with an untraceable fortune? To them, this didn't sound like a case of carelessness or bad luck. It sounded like a scam. And in Bitcoin, if something sounds like a scam, it usually is. In the eight-part podcast, Exit Scam from Odyssey, host Aaron Lammer digs into Jerry's mysterious past and shady associates who started by running minor Ponzi schemes before building a multi-million dollar digital wallet filled with other people's money. Did this missing crypto king take a fortune to his grave or take it on the run? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first five episodes of Exit Scam. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for the thumbs up or thumbs down review. Kevin. Yeah. This podcast stressed you out because when you heard. Oh, my God. (laughs) When you heard that in order to access your crypto money, you had to have in your hand a 64 digit randomly generated password. And if you didn't have that password, your money was gone forever. You seem extremely nervous. I started to hyperventilate at the thought. (laughs) I was like, where would I even write that down and where, where I pull it out and then and then like to copy it. You know, like you're looking up and you're typing the thing in and it's like, okay, it's a Q, it's a seven, it's a, is that a three or an E? And mm. oh, God, I gotta go. If you get it wrong, you have to start all over again. It's like the old rotary oh. phone situation where you dial oh the phone God. number and you're like. But I got to say, look, the idea of what is happening here is very simple. Look, when we did the missing crypto queen. There was an awful lot of kind of setting it up as far as, you know, what technically is going on as far as the tech side on the cryptocurrency. And I think that was necessary. uh, And they did a good job explaining it. In this case, you only have to really know one thing. They lost the password. Allegedly. Allegedly. Right. (laughs) But you can understand what that predicament is. Yeah. And then you attach, well, and then what does that mean? Oh, it means people can't get to $215 million or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. In a, as a plot device, and you know, I'm using a fictional term here to, to applying it to a non-fictional story, it, it, in its simplicity, it is brilliant because that's all you got to know. It's like an Agatha Christie murder yeah. mystery, right? It, that's, that's all you need to know to get into it. So Laura Bricker, listening to episode one of this podcast on one of my long walks, I got about to the halfway point and I thought, oh my God, Laura Bricker's going to love this fucking podcast, if nothing else, 
for the fact that we learn there is a whole faking your death industry and faking your death private investigators. Laura Bricker, scale of one, one to 100, how much do you want to have the job of a faking people's death private investigator where your only job is to find out if someone faked their death? Uh, 94. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I, I like love stories of people faking their deaths. And it's just one of those things that totally fascinates me. So I was, as you know, you rightly predicted, Rebecca, I was all in. But I mean, this took it like, so we had a guy in our town a while back and the town Here was like, go. <laughs> hang on. They were split like 50-50 if this guy faked his death. And and it's like, how would you do it? But this this podcast takes it to a new level. Because not only, like India, that there's a whole industry in India where you go, you get a fake death certificate. Let's say you decided that you died in a car accident. Well, you can get the police accident report. You can get the identification of the body. Oh, I'm sorry. You can get a doctor's report. You can get a coroner's report. And you can get the death certificate all for about a thousand bucks. You can get a body for a few thousand dollars. And and the fact that so many people are doing it, that there's investigators looking into it. Like, where are these people going? I, I have so many questions about the fake death industry. Now, the investigator we meet in episode one tells Aaron that he has resolved more than 750 fake death cases. Toby Ball, were you surprised to hear that in a country like India, you can get the whole death package, including <laughs> a body a death certificate, a doctor's report, like all the whole stuff for $1,000. I mean, I would have thought, A, it would cost more, but I also thought it would be harder. What did you think of hearing about that, Toby? Well, I think $1,000 goes further in India. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I was kind of with Laura. I was like, how many how many people actually do this? Because now I'm like tempted, like if anybody I ever know goes to India and doesn't come back, I'll just assume. Yeah. They like kept on going to Thailand and are like living it up on some island or something. Uh, yeah, it's really strange, but I guess it's true. And I think I don't know. I think there's a there's definitely a detective novel series in that guy's job of of tracking down people who've who faked their own deaths. Philip Marlowe. Now, like fake death detective. <laughs> Many years ago, when I was a talk show producer, we did a segment about rich people faking their deaths, which is surprisingly common and it was like right around the time that ken lay died in prison and my first thought from Did he die in prison yeah like a heart attack or something i know he died but i thought he died before i don't know my for yeah. very first thought was he's not dead he faked his death like there's no reason why you would think otherwise i mean because i remember reading the article that was like in mother jones or something and it was basically like Aside from the whole industry in India, there's also this whole industry in the U.S. where you can just bribe people and they'll say that you died. Like, who's to say you didn't if you give somebody enough money? Anyway, right. I'm fascinated by it, too. Toby, another by thing way, that... He died in Colorado yeah? uh, three months before yeah. being sentenced. He's alive. So he's alive. He's like in Mexico on a beach, right? Could be. Somewhere in the developing world and like a gorgeous beach. Gotta hey, be. You can't slander the dead, well, so go for you it. You know, um, I have one more fake death story and then I swear I'm done and I'll make it quick. No, no, no don't this... make it quick. Go ahead. Tell us all of it, Laura. Well, there was a story I actually wrote one time for the newspaper and it was really interesting. It was about this guy. Um, What's his name? Kevin Cottrell. And he was being tried for the third time on the same charge twice. It had been tried and like either mistrial or dropped or whatever. And so it was coming back for a third time. And 
He was dating a police chief's daughter at the time that this trial was coming up for the third time. And he supposedly, like, jumped off that bridge in Portsmouth that everybody jumps off to kill themselves. But they everybody? Never, they never found his body. Yeah. And it was very, the timing, yeah, okay, the third trial. But it was like, there was a lot of, and so I remember, oh, my God, I remember interviewing, like, lobstermen. <laughs> about like what it was like when you found bodies and like it was I mean I'm sure you guys did that with the uh case you guys had with the body in the Piscataqua that was never found I just I don't know I think the fake death thing I think that needs to be a whole podcast listen my kid's grandmother so my ex-husband's mother got into a car accident on a bridge because there were barriers set up because divers were looking for a guy who it later turned out had faked his own death. So this is a thing. Kevin, it is a thing. So before, it is a thing. Before we move on to that. she went off the bridge because she saw a sign that said, Fresh, Fresh Hot, hot popcorn. popcorn. Yes, the sign had been put there by the vendors who had been called in to feed the divers. It's a whole thing. Henry is, in fact, making a podcast about it. Try to it. pull over to the side of the bridge and just keep going. So, Kevin, before we get to more substance yeah. of this podcast, could I just make one point that I have just been making to you for weeks? Absolutely. Does the theme song to this show not completely slap? It slaps, does it not? If you say so. Guys, I want this to be my entrance music every time I walk into a room. Toby, would you be okay with that? Yeah, whatever makes you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, you made a note. The music is incredible, is it not? Yeah. Oh, I loved the music. I felt like it really went well with the story, but it was just every time I heard it, I was like, ooh, more fake death, more cryptocurrency. <laughs> like it just it had sort of like an exciting, um, you know, I heard that. And then every time I heard the podcast, I kept thinking, not Dan Taberski. It's not Dan Taberski, even though it right. sounds exactly like yeah, Dan Taberski. Yeah, Aaron Lammer's voice is definitely similar in a sort of wry delivery. Toby, um, question for you about cryptocurrency Generally, So the thing we hear about Quadriga, which is this uh, Canada's largest exchange, which, by the way, we should say is only the largest exchange because the other one failed. Yeah. Like it was a tiny exchange <laughs> and the other one failed and then it became large exchange. Um, the whole point here is that if you're kind of interested in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, there's an exchange where you can put your money in and invest in it. And it's super easy. As we find out, though, the complication, though, is that somebody could just I don't know, steal all your money. What do you think about the idea of investing in a currency like this that you need to use an exchange to make it super easy to do? Is that scary? Because isn't that, to me, it's just also sort of like the like funds I invest in in our IRA. Like, I don't know how that works either. Is this different than that for you, Toby? I guess it's a little bit different. I don't know. My son was like, you got to invest in Bitcoin like years ago. He was right. If, years if ago. We done, if we'd done it, <laughs> uh, we'd, be, we'd be on easy street. But uh, yeah, I just don't feel like I totally understand it. Like, even though I've listened to now several podcasts that have been trying to explain it to me. And, you know, I guess it'd be the kind of thing I'd be more comfortable with if I spent some time researching it. But because it doesn't work the way other financial things that you're used to work, like I have a hard time kind of wrapping my head about what your expectation should be about mm-hmm. it. It seems like it's completely more manipulable by, you know, just perceptions of things than maybe something that was more solid. Like I'm not sure what a Bitcoin necessarily represents. 
And I'm saying all this stuff out of just absolute complete ignorance because I'm sure there's like a thousand people who are listening to this right now and been like, you're an idiot. Like, do a little research. It's this. Toby, Um, invest in gold bullion. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I think that's much safer. There's a lot more security in it. But yeah, yeah, but there's a solid object you can hold. Yeah, but even like stocks and bonds, you've got you've got like this huge history that you can take a look at about how it works, right? right? I mean, there's there's history of bad stuff happening, and you know the consistent returns, and like what different regulations will mean for different things, and you know I just don't think Bitcoin or any of those other currencies have been out long enough to like have this sort of amount of data where you can make for somebody like me an informed choice. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of other people who do the do the work and are confident in it and can do well in it, but not uh, you. Clearly not me. Well, I think the the thing that we tend to underestimate is the appeal of easy money. And I think a lot of people that get involved in cryptocurrency are like, "Oh, this is the new thing." And look, it went up a thousand million percent. And uh, so that's what attracts them to it, despite the fact if, you know, if the industry itself has a term called exit scam, it has a known term, then that ought to be a big red flag, right? Yeah, but there are plenty of uh, similar scams in like regular financial or more conventional financial. Ponzi scheme is an example of one of those things. Well, I'm glad you brought up Ponzi because when I was writing my book on the lottery, I used it. Uh, an anecdote that was from, I forget the author's name, but the book was called Ponzi's Scheme. And it was about Ponzi and how, what the scheme actually was and how it worked. And it had this it had anecdote. to do with stamps, right? It actually did have to do with arbitrage <laughs> with international stamps. And they opened with this anecdote about that came out of a newspaper around the turn of the century. And it was of a traveling salesman who went to the home of a little old lady and produced this box with this machine with a little crank handle. And you see, you put a little blank piece of paper in and you crank the handle and out comes a $20 bill. Hmm. And he sold it to her for, you know, 10 bucks or whatever it was. And he went on his way. And then, of course, the little old lady used it and nothing came out. And so the guy was arrested. And what people were angry about was that he sold her a machine that didn't work and give the money. Not yeah. that it was a scam. <laughs> they thought it was, give that lady a one of your machines that actually prints money. Yeah. Because we just love the idea of easy money. Yeah. And look, why do we why do we throw a bunch of money in a 401k? I mean, honestly, they put you in a conference room at work. They tell you you can put the money in and you're like, I'm going to be old someday. I don't know what any of this stuff is. I just assume at the end I'm going to have a lot of money. Listen. All of the financial managers listening to this podcast are going to turn over in their grave when they I say this. They probably are, yeah. The stock market, by the way, is also just a speculative scam. It also it's just gambling. is. It has to do with what you think. It doesn't have to do with really what's real. But it does take more than one password that being to bring the whole system <laughs> yeah, down. Part, like, really <laughs> Stressed you the fuck me. out, right, Laura? Uh, no, it did. I was like... What the hell? Like, how can this be? Like, I, I just, I can't believe they've gotten away with that. I mean, I think of all the ways that you're so easily able to recover your password for everything else in the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it just it blows me away. So I want to talk about Jerry and we get into his history a little bit. And, you know, the podcast sort of sets us up with the notion that he may be an okay guy who may have kind of turned into a scammer later, maybe. And then we learn a little bit about his history. And we learn by the ages of like 15 and 16, he had perpetrated 
multiple Ponzi schemes on the internet, basically like stealing people's money. And the way that he did it was by saying, this, this is isn't a Ponzi, a Ponzi scheme. scheme. <laughs> and then literally describing a Ponzi scheme to get people to invest. That was Jerry's pitch. SNS Investments was definitely not a Ponzi scheme, but somehow it generated even better returns than most Ponzi schemes. And amazingly, it seemed to work. So, Toby, are you disappointed in your kids that they have not come up with this yet in your own household? Seems like a lack of uh, lack of ambition. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I wish that there was a little bit more about like what his situation was. Like, who the hell were his parents? Like, where did he where did he come up with? They this? were nice. He talked about his parents. This was a thing, man. I don't know if you know this, but um, I'm just going to say I, I don't. I'll just go right ahead and villainous, say I don't. Our favorite villainous <laughs> podcaster, Mike Boudet, who we know for a lot of other horrible things. Uh, was covered in a news story many years ago for doing a scam Almost on the internet. Almost 20 years ago, yeah. A scam on the internet called Make Mike a Millionaire, where he would just get people to give him money for no reason. What? Like there was a, oh yeah, oh, I'll send you the video. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, saw the, I saw the clip. Uh, there's a whole, and by the way, I kept thinking about him because one of the scams that uh, Jerry came up with was called what? SNS was one of his like Ponzi scams. Sword and scam. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, is it Mike Boudet? Anyway, um, so yeah, this was a whole era of just like cheating people on the internet. Laura, were you surprised to find out that there were like whole forums where like scammers get together on the internet and talk about like, hey, I got this email list from the local Rotary. Like, how do I oh, monetize yeah. it? Yeah, the email list thing was crazy on um, the way they were sharing that. I mean, I guess I I kind of thought of the scammers as being like these lone wolves. I didn't think that they were like teaming up. But I guess, you know what? There's probably an online forum for everything. I mean, God knows I found every cat forum and <laughs> everything else, cat detective forum that I'm in. But um, yeah, the, the email, like the way that they were monetizing it when they accidentally like didn't like blind CC when they sent out some sort of newsletter – that was interesting. Um, it uh, makes you even more parent. I mean, I get a lot of after, um, you know, Rebecca, you had your recent hacking episode with your yes. email. So I'm like, I, I'm so paranoid now. And I'm like, why am I getting these weird emails? I'm like, is it because I clicked on Rebecca's email? Or am I just getting <laughs> more? Who knows? Who knows? Listen, it's not my fault. It's my IT department at work's fault. Anyway, so Kevin, one thing that we find out is Jen, uh, Jerry's wife, who I thought in episode five, it was super interesting that his good friend of his like didn't even know he had a wife. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was a detail that stuck out to me. She was with him allegedly in India, allegedly where they were opening an alleged orphanage. Which... Oh, my God. Look, this guy has done, apparently, has no other philanthropic uh, endeavors. He has a yacht. Is that Philip? He has a yacht. But, you know, <laughs> is he giving to the United Way? Is he brought he... an island from Tucker Carlson. Is that Philip? No, it's not. <laughs> because, you know, this is where I'm going to start by getting into charity. Yeah. Building an orphanage in India. Hmm. Um, which, hey, okay, we know that there are problems in India, and that's not to make light of that. But it's just not where most people start with it's their charitable work. It's very specific. Usually, kind of start at home. I mean, I you know, I mean, wouldn't somebody? Was this his idea? Mm. Anyway, it just like is it fishy? Yeah, it's fishy as fuck. Well, it's faf. So Jen goes with him on this trip. She's yeah. allegedly with him when he quote unquote dies, and she brings a body back in a coffin that is buried in Canada. Thoughts? Well, um, 
the whole idea, and we have to talk about like why not exhume the body. That's sort of a, a yeah. whole other topic. But look, if 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 it's not Jerry in that coffin, which would answer a lot of questions, if it's not Jerry in that coffin, then I find it hard to believe that she wouldn't know that. That she wouldn't have taken that body. She wouldn't have seen him in the hospital. She wouldn't have taken that body and brought it home and had, you know. I. She's just, in on it. What's yeah. she doing right now, though? That's what like, I want to know. If he's mm. if he's hanging out in Phuket or something, is she just, you know, in Edmonton? She, like, she's hanging back out, and I think time? Nova Scotia. She's in, she's in Canada. Halifax, yeah. I Googled this because I kind of wanted to get to the end, find out. Because there are still, there are in real life a lot of unanswered questions. Like. Can we exhume the body? Well, she gave a bunch of money back. I have a question about the that part, though. Yeah. When you get the Canadian authorities, uh, Toby, I kept thinking about like, um, so obviously we know that Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, for a large part of the population who've never heard podcasts about it, for instance, this is just like an imaginary bullshit monopoly money thing that no one cares about on the internet, right? So I kept thinking about like, I don't want to say she's imaginary bullshit, like the Maura Murray case and sort of the pressure that this online community has put on authorities to take real life action to like dig in a basement and like, you know, send troops up to the forest. Like part of me thinks that like if you are a member of the RCMP and you're used to dealing with like crimes that have to do with fraud that are in real in real banks you know robberies and so forth you know murders that you can see and hear and feel does this sort of online community pressing for an exhumation like don't you kind of understand why they weren't like yes let's just dig that body up right now because all these internet people told us to yeah i mean that that's not the right reason to do anything Mm. I mean, I would just assume that the RCMP's got to have some crypto specialists, though, right? I mean, that's got to be. There's a lot of those guys, yeah, and oh, we, gals, we, um, <laughs> and ladies, lady computer people, <laughs> lady mounties. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you know we've talked about this before. I think like internet pressure. It doesn't seem like that should be an impetus to for anybody to do almost anything. Yeah, you know, that's that's it's about the most unthinking kind of advocacy you can possibly do is sit there and bang a few things on your keyboard so but they're not wrong a lot of people lost their life savings with their actual victims yeah, yeah they're not just yeah, like but, but interested not, trolls they're like, I'm yeah not, i'm not but, saying but what they lost the, wasn't that, important that, i'm saying the, the authorities didn't take it seriously maybe because of that that's how that was the impression i had i could be wrong yeah i guess i don't have much of an opinion about that i mean i i think as, as far as people getting bilked out of money like yeah that's that's Legitimate, you should follow that wherever it goes. But I wouldn't be bullied by people online to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to exhume this body. I mean, that's that's madness. And then they open the coffin and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Yeah. There's just one, there's one Bitcoin uh, lying in the empty coffin. One Bitcoin would be a big find. Uh, there's, like, there's like a dummy of like Mark Zuckerberg lying there. Laura, I have one question for you before we give our review. Michael Patron slash... Omar Danani, Jerry's partner, silent, yeah. uh, hidden partner, who turned out to be like a more substantial maybe partner for him previously, also a goddamn fucking scammer. Yeah. Doesn't it make you wonder like how, I mean, obviously the internet, but the sort of attraction that these kinds of people have to one another. To perpetrate game these recognizing games. game. But don't you feel like if you're, um, if you're committing a crime in secret and bilking people like. 
The idea that you'd be doing it with, like, like find somebody else who's into it because we hear that Omar slash Michael is older mm-hmm. than Jerry and sort of like what took him on as a protege. Like, what did you think was going on there? Well, I, I think that Jerry, obviously, if he's been started doing this when he was a teenager, was was savvy and good at scamming people, and he was good at running it. And the other guy obviously had more experience, but based on his past transgressions, had to sort of lay low, and he needed like a front person. Um, but it is it was very interesting to me that you know as I was listening to that, I was just thinking, you know, Bitcoin, it, it just is like ripe to be used as a scam. I mean, we heard the missing crypto queen. We hear this. I mean, you just keep hearing stories. And it's like a magnet for people like those two that we're just talking about, because I think there is that allure of getting in on the ground floor and having this diversified portfolio and being ahead of everybody else. And you're going to be rich when everyone else isn't, when we don't have paper money anymore and whatever. Um, But, you know, I I thought it was interesting that there was such an effort to keep Omar out of the spotlight with this whole like, oh, no, I don't I don't have a partner. Oh, he's not involved anymore. He was involved the whole time. So, I mean, I don't know. I I go back to I'm just getting some gold bullion. No Bitcoin. Kevin, a question for you. So mm-hmm. I was reminded a lot of um, in the Nexium stories that we reviewed, Keith Rainier, the head yeah. of this cult, which is also like a little bit of a scheme. We learn that he previously was the head of other pyramid schemes, like the whole right. like, vitamin thing. Right. Is there such a thing as an addiction to scamming? Which I think this podcast does posit as a theory. You here. mean scammers? Yeah, like who like, are addicted, like scammers who are literally motivated by. Because remember at one point in the I, podcast, Aaron says that it seems that Jerry has plenty of money at this point. Is he just addicted to being a scammer, addicted to scams? What do you think? I think he's addicted to money. Hmm. Because, he, I mean, he's been doing this since he's a teen. The goal is to get money. I'm so bad at mad and, at my kids right now for not getting us that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes I suppose it's like the dog that catches the car, right? I mean, what do you do now? It certainly seems like if the, if the the money, as as Ernst and Young, the forensic uh, accountants, are are learning, the money wasn't in the digital wallets at the time that Jerry allegedly died. Then is he just doing one of these scams where they say, "Well, we've been hacked and we can't do it"? That he lost all the money because that's what a Ponzi scheme is: a Peter to pay Paul, rob from Peter to pay Paul, and so. If there wasn't enough money to come in, he, he's just he, he's, it's all red ink. If this was not his plan to like live a new life necessarily, but to just get out of this latest scam, then you know there's some evidence to that. Weren't you surprised to hear though that there was this plan to quote go public? I mean, I kind of thought that was yeah. also a scam. They're probably just going to take the investors' money and then run, like because they couldn't go public. Because as soon as you open the books, they'd find there were there was nothing. Yeah, I mean, is there a chance that like you know is that we've been doing this? you know, by the skin of our teeth for so long that maybe we can do this and, quote, go legit. Yeah, maybe. I no. think, But I think there's a problem with, you know, with it being cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, just the nature of the industry, right? Yeah, like that guy who just accidentally, oops, lost the $18 million because he transferred yeah. it to the wrong account. <laughs> oh, and he's like, oh, guy. shit, oops. I can't get it back now. I I'm actually like, felt oh, bad for that guy. man, that sucks. I also felt bad for the guy who worked for Jerry, who was just like his right-hand guy who had to release their whole text threads, who was just like Jerry's friend, like, hey, you getting burgers tonight? Like, Hello. 
LOL, dude. <laughs> Party on. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Exit Scam? It's a new podcast. The host is Aaron Lammer, who's also the host of one of my favorite podcasts called Long Form. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Exit Scam? Um, this is a thumbs up. I loved Aaron's delivery style, I, you know, especially with a story like this. It's just very entertaining in the way that he tells it. It's like you're hanging around with a friend who's telling you like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this story. But he tells it in such a laid back way. And I mean, th- this story has everything. We've got double life, Bitcoin, uh, fake death. I, I mean, it just goes on and on. And I just found it super interesting. So Tucker uh, Carlson's Island. I know. Another <laughs> Tucker. Like the Carlson family keeps showing up in everything lately. I mean, <laughs> starting with Toby like and the wine purse. I mean, so. <laughs> the wine purse. Um, yeah. Thumbs up. The that. wine skin. Can we please talk about that uh, in the after show again? Yeah, Remind okay. our listeners about that. Toby, well, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Exit Scam? I give it a thumbs up. I mean, there were times I, I didn't find it like super consistent. Like there were some parts of it, which I thought were just fascinating. Like I thought the first episode was awesome. And I was just so jacked up to listen to the rest of it. You know, it's not that it really fell off. Like it was still a good podcast, but I don't think it kind of maintained that kind of sort of strangeness. And I I, I don't know. It just, the, the first one I was like, oh my God, this is just nuts. And then after a while, it's like, oh, well, it's okay. It's a cryptocurrency scam, and that's what this deal is. And there are times that you could tell that, you know, the hosts and, and the writer stuff are, are into the cryptocurrency stuff because there, there were some times when I was like, all right, you know, you can move along from this. But for the most part, you know, it, it's, it's good. Like, I, I definitely enjoyed listening to it, uh, learned quite a bit. And the story is crazy, and I'm interested in finding out how it all ends. I, I assume it's not actually going to end, but how the podcast ends. Right. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Exit Scam? I'm going with a thumbs up. I thought that the way that they told a story about a complex crime is that they were able to boil it down to its simplest elements. And it's really fascinating to think, yeah, I'm on the lam with everybody's money, and there's almost nothing that you can do about it, you know, except maybe... Hey, RCMP, why don't you just go dig up the body like we've been saying the whole podcast? That might ask answers a couple of questions. Um, I thought it went very well. I think that you know, episode four was the episode about let's get to know Jerry. And then episode five was let's get to know Jerry. Mm-hmm. And you know, I feel about that. I feel like okay, we've established that. Move on to another narrative point. Uh, but overall, I think it's it's good. Uh, CBC's coming out with another podcast on this very topic in the near future, so it'll be interesting to see if they take a different tact. But the crime is enough and I think easy enough to follow that you'll like it. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up for me, too. I think it says a lot about this podcast that all we talked about in our conversation about it was the crime. Like and usually, the theme music. Yeah, and the theme music. But very often in, in shows like this, we get very hung up on on like details, the way that it's told, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there, I agree with Toby and Kevin. There are a couple issues there. It does feel a little stretched, like the idea of encapsulating one aspect of the story into a whole episode. I don't think it's necessary here. And I understand, you know, from a structural point of view, why, why you would do that. Okay, let's do this. Now, in this episode, we're going to do this. And we're do this. It does work in a couple of episodes, like in a great way. But I do agree with you the Jerry episode and the fake account episode could have been combined that being said episode five which i believe as of the time of our podcast dropping is now on on the odyssey app is literally just a phone interview and it's 
freaking great. And it's like the only example of a phone interview I can ever point to that's great. So for me, this podcast is clean. I get what's going on. I'm fascinated by the story. I think it's the right person telling it. And it's really nicely produced for the most part. So yeah, big thumbs up for me for Exit Scam. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. <laughs> I guess that means we're in the business section, right, Kevin? Kevin, you have like kind of like an epic announcement to make in our business section for our fans who maybe aren't on our Patreon right now. Yeah, so at the end of uh, June, we're going to have the Patreon free preview week. We're basically copying HBO, right? Can, if I do that again, can you put the echo sure, on? I like that. Okay. We're going to have the Patreon free preview week. So, Kevin, we're basically, what, like, cribbing HBO here? Like, right, what you know, does like, this mean? Well, like when Showtime or HBO does, like, a free preview weekend. We're doing this for a week. Whether or not you subscribe to Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And we're going to unlock selected episodes from our uh, podcast library that includes a couple of episodes of the Crime Writers on After Show, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, <gasps> Laura's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Married with Podcast. Kevin, can you please unlock the Sasquatch episode of Married with Podcast? Oh, sure. That is my special request. The greatest question we have ever received on Married with Podcast. Right. So for the last week in uh, June, actually, you know, we're going to start from uh, Father's Day, which is the 20th to uh, the 27th of June. All that week, you can look at our, uh, go to the Patreon, and you'll see uh, not everything, but a couple of things will be unlocked, and you can have a listen, and if you like it, you can also join right there. So there's no call to action here. It's just, good luck, guys. Wait for the last week in June. Yeah, just be standing <laughs> by. Or you can join now. Yes, why should people join now? What is on our Patreon right now? Just so that you can tell people, like, this is how, how I think about it. If you join our Patreon now and listen to the, what, 200-plus... Yeah. Episodes that are back there of all kinds of stuff. Toby's Book Club, Laura's Podcast, Mary with Podcast, and The After Show. If you join now and listen, you're going to want to make a sales pitch for people to listen for free later, right? So they can also join. Yeah. Maybe think about joining. But what is going to be on there this week that will be the substance of that sales pitch? Okay. Well, we've got uh, the Creme Writers on After Show, and we're going to be talking about, for once and for all. Oh, we got to get the story. Laura's neighbor. From Vermont. 
who was when she was grown up. Who was killed in a volcano accident? A volcano explosion. Explosion or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna find out all about that because we've been intrigued by all those little nuggets <laughs> she's been dropping. We also have a new episode of Leave It to Brick Around, and in this one, Lara tries to get Fireman Ken to watch Line of Duty. Nice. The British uh, police show. Yes. And uh, he doesn't say it, but in my head, he's thinking, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the wee donkey. (laughs) Uh, Also coming out later this week. And he also uses the word pecoritis. Nice. Pecoritis. Some people grow out of it, Lara. What did we just say we wanted Toby to talk about in the after show? We had a thing like five minutes ago. Got to go back in the tape and figure that out. We'll figure it out, Toby. I think it was Tucker Carlson. Yes! The wine Tucker curse. Carlson and the wineskin, yes. That's right. Tucker Tucker Carlson and Toby Ball went to college together. <laughs> and they were at the same party once. And they have all the same opinions. <sighs> they have all the same opinions. That's, how, that's where Toby learned to tie a bow tie. Let's cancel Toby right now. Yeah, it's, yeah my diploma just... <laughs> On next week's less and less uh, impressive by the week. <laughs> next week's deep dive book club podcast, Toby and his special panel talk about the book Veritas. Toby, remind us who was on your panel this month. It was a very awesome, fun panel. Uh, had Dr. Shiloh from LA Not So Confidential, had Lauren Bright Pacheco from Murder in Oregon and Happy Face Murders, and I had uh, Julia Henderson, who goes by Jules. Mm-hmm. I found out. Um, yeah. Who did Bikram and uh, the Sterling Affairs and other stuff like that. So it, I feel like this, like with all of the deep dives, but it's just, you know, it's just smart, nice people. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a fun it's a fun evening for me when we record. And I, I'm glad that some people like to listen to it. What's amazing to me is that when you look at like our, our like relatively small community of patrons, right, who are fiercely devoted to the show. We are attracting, Toby is, A-list talent to our book club. It's really impressive, Toby. People love what you do. And I know that our Patreon listeners just love the book club. Some of them want to be there when you do it. Like, nice job on these bookings, Toby. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly impressed. We actually had a, uh, a, a patron guest. Yes. Who uh, we were talking about, you know, so this this book is about uh, this this faked Papyrus that was supposed to be supposed to be the gospel of Jesus's wife, and actually uh, one of our patrons is in divinity school huh. uh, right now. So she she popped in and uh, it was super interesting what she had to say as well. It's, so. it's really incredible. Oh. Uh, A list book club. So join our patrons so you can check that out. Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are. Carrie Savage and Nancy Madden. Bless you. And once again, Kevin, if people want to join our Patreon to get all this stuff, how do they do it? Uh, it's at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And also, I will just put one plug. Go to our website for free, crimewriterson.com. Sign up for our newsletter. It's freaking awesome. You will not regret it in any way. You will not. It is my favorite newsletter that I get and I get all the newsletters from all the outlets. And on Wednesday we've got a new episode of uh, These Are Their Stories coming out. We're looking at the series finale of Criminal Intent. That's right. All right. So, thus ends the business section, Kevin. Cut that music. Moving on. All of a sudden my neighbor said to me, wow, talent, there is a bag here and I can hear the noise. I said, what sound are you hearing? He said, come and see. So I came out of my stall and it was going, tink, 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 tink.
1999, a nail bomb detonated in an open-air market in South London's Brixton neighborhood. With no one claiming responsibility and the bomber's motives unclear, black residents struggled to get police to believe the attack was a hate crime. And you had police officers saying things to you like, you know, we want to catch the bomber as much as you do. And you'd say to them, no, no, you don't, because where do you live? You're not living in an area that's a target for this. The bombing coincided with the rise of the far-right British National Party, attracting white supremacists to the cause of purging immigrants from the UK. It would take later bombings in a Bengali neighborhood and a gay pub for authorities to connect the crimes to a neo-Nazi, all with the help of an anti-fascist spying within the racists' ranks. It, it was so much worse than I thought it was going to be, really. It was hardcore. The Netflix documentary Nail Bomber Manhunt looks back on the panic that gripped England for three consecutive weekends. It also tells the story of Arthur, the informant who went undercover among the Nazis and identified the bomber. Now we are going to be talking about plot points for Nail Bomber Manhunt. So to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Toby, this documentary, it's tight. It's short, like basically it packs a lot into like an hour long package, right? Yeah, I kind of wish it had switched lengths with uh, with uh, Sasquatch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because this, in fact, seemed like it had a whole bunch of super interesting things that it only sort of touched on or just had to blow by. And so, it, yeah, it's super tight. It moves really fast. There's not a second wasted. You know, you barely have time to take a breath. But I did kind of feel like I would have been perfectly happy to spend, you know, another two or three hours with them spending a little more time on some of these issues, like the racist right in Britain and its relationship to, to the BNP and and these interesting ethnic neighborhoods that were targeted. Like we hear about these things in pop culture. Like I don't really know London, but Brick Lane is uh, the Monica Ali book. Electric Avenue is that horrendous Eddie Grant song. And, Sing a uh, couple of verses. I, I don't remember it, Toby. How does it go? <laughs> yes, you remember it, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I feel quite clear that you remember it. And uh, so I, I don't know. There was just so much interesting stuff there. I wish they'd spend a little bit more time. But, you know, not everything can be three or four hour long limited series. This I think could have been too though. Laura, so at the beginning we hear about the bombing in Brixton and we get some people who were actually there the day of the bombing that we then see in historical footage, including my two favorite characters we've seen in a documentary in a long time, the two blokes manning the bootleg music tape stall who basically recount what it was like to work there, what the atmosphere was like, how they sold the bootleg tapes right across the street from the legit music store. But then we actually see them in the real footage in the aftermath of the bombing. Like, what did you think of sort of setting this up and the fact that they were able to find and get these people to go on camera to to retell this story? I, I loved this part because, you know, they weren't the only ones that they were able to do this with. But those two guys were definitely my favorite because they're sitting in this like diner and they're talking and, and you know, they're just kind of recounting like, oh, it was like the our price music store, not your price. It's our price. Ha ha ha. But then they're talking about the day 
that the bombing happened. I just, I loved it. It's horrible, but like, because the bombing is like freaking horrific. But when they're talking about, and I tell this story all the time and people don't believe it, about how the uh, crackhead guy came along and actually took the backpack that the bomb was in. He nicked the backpack, but he left the bomb there. And they're all like, what? Oh, my God. I've told this story many times. That crackhead took the bomb out of the bag and nicked the bag. Nah, you're joking me. No way did that happen. Yes, I swear down it happened, yeah. man. But then when you go to that historical footage, you have to, like, look at it for a minute. And you're like, oh, that is the same guy. That's them. And that's him. And he was, like, talking about, like, my pants. That My mom just got me, like, new pants or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I didn't want them to cut. The- I think it was that guy that didn't want his yes. pants yeah. cut off because his yeah. mom yeah. just got yeah. yeah. the jeans. pants. And- you know you know what was the best part about him, Laura? When he was, like, when I opened the bag, it was, like, a cartoon bomb. It was, like, tick, 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 tick. And there were, like, two bells. And it was, like, a bomb in a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, I- I'm honestly... Just like the the descriptions of the, the time and the place, I felt like I was right there. What do you think of those guys, Kevin? You mean British Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? <laughs> I like yeah. them apples. I like them, yeah. Oh, man, I love those guys. And it's, look, it's good because they, they added a bit of color and levity before what becomes a very heavy uh anecdote about you know the the bombing and the you know the uh, the injuries that were caused by that. But like Laura, I did appreciate sort of that being lifted up high and kind of starting to giggle a bit in order to be emotionally brought down by the seriousness of what and what transpires. So I want to talk about Arthur, who went undercover for this independent anti-fascist magazine and organization that still exists for 10 years among neo-Nazis. Uh, he went into this, uh, you know, these party meetings where basically he was expecting to have to spend like a lot of time like waiting for the racist stuff to come. And like day one, he goes in and they're like, no, no, no. Hitler was right. Like, we hate <laughs> Jews. We are Nazis. Um, so the thing we learn in the documentary and Toby, full disclosure, I did interview the director of this for the Netflix podcast. But he told me and, and it's true in the documentary touches on it briefly Arthur was so deep undercover for so long. And the reason that we don't see his identity in this is because there are many, many people, including people close to him, who still believe to this day that he is a Nazi, even though he's undercover in this organization. Can you imagine, Toby, like just just like the scope of what that is to dedicate yourself to like hanging out with these people like all of the time and having that become who you are? Yeah, it's intense. And I think he talks about, and this is like stuff that gets in like good spy literature uh, and probably good undercover crime literature about how when you're that sort of immersed in that culture, you, you, you know, you have to be on your guard about it leaking into your own psyche, right? And I think he talks about how you know, the stuff's, you know, in some way starts to make sense. And he's like, you know, if it's starting to make sense for me, just imagine somebody like I'm like on the absolute opposite end of the political spectrum. Like if you're more inclined to that viewpoint, like you can see exactly how it's seductive once you get kind of immersed in it. So I thought he was a really interesting character. The first time we see him, I had these bad like cocaine, uh, cocaine island vibes. Oh come on, Toby! Because, uh, well, he's just like island. sitting, and he's like, uh, "Give me a beer." Can I have a beer. Thank you. Why did you agree to meet me? <laughs> it's an interesting story, and um, I've got a different perspective. 
I mean, there is like a weird thing with the way their interviews are staged mm. and lit, I think. Because, you know, they're putting them in these situations, but they're so... Like, it's in an empty bar, you know? It's like, we're going to put you in a bar, and it's going to be empty, and we're going to have a whole bunch of lights on you and film you from different... It's just like a strange... I, I found it odd. I kind of liked it, I liked but it, it. was it's weird. It's kind of artsy. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, we, we've seen an awful lot of these documentaries, and I like to give credit to filmmakers who give some thought about the setting of where they're going to do these interviews and not just do it in front of a scrim like they've did it for decades. You mean right? like we've been in front of for like many shows that we've been on? Right. We're just going to... We're gonna just... holiday in with like a curtain behind us. Yeah, oh, a scrim. I was in a, a special Chinese light. restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's different. Look, I'm thinking about uh, what was the uh, Night Stalker one? We have the two cops and they were in a bar at night. Yeah, or yeah, like, they were oh, always yeah. doing bars, yeah. Uh, and, they, and then there was uh, the one Alabama snake where the woman was interviewed oh, on God. the dock at night. Okay, that one was a little weird but I, I think i gotta give credit to to filmmakers who think about these things and do something differently what i like about in particular about this one is that it was done in front you know in some shops or restaurants or bars or whatever it was but they had big picture windows looking out onto the street and it was nighttime in london and it sort of brought london in to the setting of the interviews in a way that wasn't heavy-handed, right? You just got a sense of where they were without it being too distracting. There was like one soundbite where, as I think it was one of the investigators, as she finishes up in the background like a police car goes by in the street. You know, and they kind of held the shot long enough to, to see it go by. I, I like that. And so, you know, yeah, it's different. And maybe not everybody's going to do it well and it's going to look weird sometimes. But, yeah, I give them, I give them credit for this. Now, let's talk about the investigation, Laura. One of the things that was interesting to me was that after the first, so basically we have, you know, three bombs, one that went off in a black neighborhood, that one went that went off in a Bengali neighborhood, and that one went off in a gay neighborhood, right? So there are three sort of groups being targeted. The cops in London put on the case, it, uh, the woman that we hear anyway in the in the film, an investigator at New Scotland Yard who has... No terrorism experience. Like, it seems like the the people in the community who are the activists play a much more significant role in investigating this. And you have, like, all these inexperienced cops who are just like, I don't know. I don't know if it's race motivated. I don't know. But it clearly is, right? I mean, I found that interesting and, and sort of very timely. I, like, the... the the, the, the little amount of interest the police seem to put in this when we know how they reacted, for instance, to IRA bombings, like it yeah. was very different, right? Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I, I had a hard time coming to sort of understand how they didn't like take it more seriously from the beginning because the details of the bombing were so horrific and the injury was just so catastrophic and you know that x-ray that they show of a nail in a child's head um so i mean this wasn't like a, a little deal uh, but it was so that i was kind of a little bit confounded like okay so why aren't they maybe but i was thinking okay it's a different time and place but when you're talking about it being timely i mean one of the things i kept thinking about as I was watching this is, you know, different media that we've listened to or watched recently and talked about with like domestic terrorism 
being at an all-time high right now and that actually being more of a threat in the U.S. than like since the Oklahoma City bombings. And then, you know, looking at this, you know, seeing that same type of dynamic at play. But yeah, the lady, the Scotland Yard lady, I mean, she looked like she was like 15 years old in that picture that they put up of her. And I was like, huh, okay. I did enjoy when they finally did charge the guy, how they how they tripped him up. But we Oh, can't. we're going to talk about that in a second. I guess, guys, I wouldn't, st- I didn't get the impression that the police weren't taking the crime seriously. I felt like they didn't give full credence to the motive being right racially motivated yeah. that they kind of kept all their options open this the the activists in the street said no 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 look we're we're a black community and this is what it's like to live here and of course that's why it was this was the target we also heard about the mistrust in the black community yep. of the police for good reason one of my favorite scenes in this documentary is when the reporters are talking to some uh, black teenagers in the neighborhood and they're like the senior policeman who runs this area was telling me today that the advice he'd give you lot is to think seriously about joining the police force. He hasn't got enough. <laughs> that there is one issue I have with this documentary um, that we're watching with my son Henry. He also felt there is like a note of optimism here that all these people came together and like hate didn't win. Yeah. And Henry, my 19 year old son, was like. I don't know. Hate seems to be doing pretty well these days. <laughs> so, Toby, don't you just feel like we are like in a carousel, just like repeating the same nationalist, racist, you know, neo-Nazi, anti-black, anti-people of color? Like we're just on a carousel, right? Isn't this what this documentary is showing us? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, because you catch one guy, I don't, you know, you definitely want to catch him. And I think it, you know, on the most superficial possible level, it's like, hey, you know, we care about your community. We we found this guy who, like, dropped a nail bomb in the middle of it. But, yeah, I mean, does that actually address, like, if that led to some, like, larger social reforms, I don't think they brought it up in, in that documentary. I mean, it's just, it's just this guy, you know, and they caught him. And I guess, like, maybe the, the, the BMP sort of faded. I don't know if they were trying to connect those two occurrences, but... But those same yeah. talking points are in in the political mainstream today. We hear the BNP guy. It doesn't sound a whole lot different from some of the things Boris Johnson has said. Certainly not some of the things that we've heard from our own political leaders here in the U.S., the xenophobic nationalist talking points, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the victory, whatever, whatever it is, is like completely transient and uh, just applies to this one, this one case. But I, it doesn't feel like, I mean, I didn't come away with it being like, oh, you know, I guess they worked out their differences and now everybody gets along. Yeah. You know, like Fox Mulder, like, I want to believe, I want to be positive and think the best of people. And like the guy says at the end, why hate when I can just go have a beer? In the long, in the long term, haters can, ne- can never win. And it must be, it must be horrible to be consumed with hate, you know? Think about all the things you can't enjoy because you're like, you're full of full of hate. Today's Friday. I'm going to go home and have a beer. But the whole Santa Claus illusion has just been ripped from my eyes. We're just, we're hateful early. people just hate forever. Yeah, I mean, you know? there's legislation in like state houses all across the yeah. United States. Saying so that, like, I see how they want to yeah. like be positive at the end. Why not have a happy yeah. ending? Yeah. You captured the guy and everything like that. But I just, you know, I don't. 
I don't know if that's really the state of play on the ground in Brixton these days. Or anywhere. So, Laura, we need to talk about one other story element. Uh, So after Copeland is arrested, Mm -hmm. he basically comes up with this defense that he's not mentally fit to stand trial. And there's a whole legal proceeding around that. And we have a cop who sets up a little honey trap for him, decides to pretend to be Patsy, a loving admirer of Copeland's. Who he? This cop believes that if he just pretends to be a lady interested in this guy, this guy will admit that in fact he is not. Uh, he's just pretending to be not of sound mind, and it works. Yeah. What did you think of of this guy and his tactics? Good idea, bad idea. What do you think? I kind of loved it because it's like this like older has been around the bend a few times cop. And again, he's sitting in like a bar somewhere. Um, But I loved like the way that they set this up. I liked a lot of the cinematography in this. And I liked where we show the letters, but he had very like the handwriting even. I just felt like I was like, I was being fooled a little bit watching this. You were seduced, I was by the handwriting, by by Patsy's handwriting. (laughs) But going back and forth and the fact that like he was getting into this mindset and you and but as it went on and then it became clear that Copeland, the bomber, is is becoming pretty obsessed with Patsy. Like he's and then he comes then out comes the story just like they thought it would or hoped it would that he fooled them all. He fooled the doctors and all this and It's going to help his trial. Then knowing that the jury was able to see those letters. But I just, I don't know, the old guy writing the letters just kind of cracked me up a little bit because I was like, that was like the perfect person to be doing that. Yeah, I love that Nazi catfish. This fall on Netflix. It reminded me of two things. It reminded me of that cop in Keene, New Hampshire, who's been posing as like a 15-year-old girl online for 15 years and just like catching. uh, Oh, 25. Oh, McLaughlin or something? Yeah, he's been forever. It also reminded me of uh, another famous murder case here, the Manuel Guerin case, where he pleaded insanity, the legal insanity, and the FBI intercepted letters from him to, I think, his family in, like, Argentina or something. Somewhere in South America. Where yeah. he was writing in Spanish about, ha, 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 they, I am saying I'm insane, and they believe me. And the FBI was like, hey, look, we have you. <laughs> anyway, it's just, I don't know. I thought that was a fascinating aspect of the case. All right, well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the very compact documentary Nail Bomber Manhunt on Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Nail Bomber? Yeah, I'll go with thumbs up for this. I I appreciated that it was short. I mean, for me, it was kind of heavy material, like um, the severity of the injuries and the destruction from a nail bomb is, is pretty awful stuff to hear about. But I felt like this was like, an, what, an hour and 15, an hour and 20. It really gave you kind of a, a nice overview. Um, I liked they used some creative sort of cinematography in this in terms of where they filmed people. They had a really effective technique that they used to kind of convey what it felt like to the victims right immediately after a bomb went off that I thought was really effective. Um, and they had all the people that you would want to hear from. Now, they did not include a lot about the actual bomber. And I think that was deliberate. And I think that it was designed not to put the focus on him, but maybe to put the focus on the people that survived this and sort of the strength of their spirit to have gone on, despite the fact that, as we talked about earlier, the world is still unfortunately got a lot of these type of 
events going on. But I think overall, it was it was pretty interesting. And it was told in a condensed way that was, you know, a good overview. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Nail Bomber on Netflix? Did you uh, first a question? Did you find out were those actual like interrogation tapes? They that he were was playing? recreated from the transcript of the interrogation. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, but it's not. But it was transcript, clear. so it was what he said. Yeah, they. I right. don't think they, actor recreations of. The, I don't think yeah. they, they indicate that it was an actor. No, no, I don't think so either. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, man, these guys like don't mm or ah at all. I mean, really, like for the, those the audio quality situations. of these old yeah. nineteen ninety nine yeah. tapes is incredible. They would m, not um. <laughs> okay, now that we've got that all cleared up. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I, you know, I, Kevin was talking about thoughtfulness uh, and where they were placing people. I mean, I, I think they, they tried to do some different things. I mean, there was like more sort of like pulse pump and music than you're used to. There's some kind of abstract stuff you saw every once in a while on the screen uh, when things were going on. So that that was all cool. I thought it all worked. Again, you know, I, I guess we review what's there, not what we wish was there. But I, like 100%, could have watched a four-part series on this and been absolutely riveted the whole time. Uh, but for one really quick thing, you know, there's don't don't blink. Don't get up and go to the bathroom. You just got to <laughs> stick in there for the whole thing. So th- thumbs up. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was good. Kevin? Yeah, thumbs up for me, too. It's short and sweet. Uh, it's you know, they, they know how far they can tell a story and keep it interesting. It was restrained. It, was, it ran an hour and 20 uh, and there was more that they could have done, but they chose not to, right? I'm, you're right. We could have gone on a lot longer about the uh, the BNP or life in those neighborhoods or the mechanics of you know building a bomb and domestic terrorism and whatnot. They could have told us a lot more about the bomber, but they didn't. But proportionately speaking, I mean, I think, right, it was fast on all those, but as far as how they sliced up the pie, I think it was balanced in that way. Just, you know, in these 10-part series, it's just a bigger pie, so... You know, good job of uh, telling the um, historical story, getting some great voices uh, to recall uh, their experiences, and sort of knowing what it can achieve without going without getting long in the tooth, as they would say. So, thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up for me too. I will say the one thread that when Toby talks about this potentially being a longer series, and we don't want to review what's missing, the one thread. I really would have loved to have fleshed out a little bit more was the anti-fascist movement in England at that time in the 90s. I mean, Antifa, quote quotes, in the United States has been in the news for a couple of years now. And it's we can call it like a fake construct here in political lingo, but it is a real movement that's been going on for decades in Europe that is a real anti-fascist, anti-racist movement that's made a lot of waves, including in this case. And I just would have loved to have heard more about the organizations infiltrating the nationalist Nazi movements, how they worked, you know, what they were trying to achieve and why, for instance, the police actually listened to them, you know, when they're just like a magazine. Anyway, that's the one part that I wish was fleshed out a little more. I do think this documentary is very tight. I wasn't expecting to like something called Nail Bomber as much as I did, but I really liked it. So thumbs up. for Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. 
Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. The week. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is making a fashion statement. In an effort to blunt the influence of Western culture on the communist nation, the government has banned certain clothing and hairstyles in order to guard against the, quote, exotic and decadent lifestyle of capitalism. Citizens can no longer wear skinny jeans or nose piercings, and no T-shirts with capitalist branding on them. Take that, Polo. They've even banned mullets and spiky hair. Sorry, Toby. Good news, North Korean men can still choose from 15, quote, non-socialist haircuts. Women have more choices, like part on the left or part on the right, (laughs) or the ever-popular ears. (laughs) Ears. <laughs> Let's Panel. see your ears. Oh, look at those ears. It's That's exciting. Sexy. Yeah. Panel, if we were to block the influence of Western culture in a foreign nation, mullets might not be where we'd start. Tell me, panel, what would you ban in North Korea to save them from America? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Oh, God. Um, this is like such a, I'm going to say Netflix, but they don't have internet so that doesn't work uh designer yoga pants i mean oh oh yeah that's pretty good the fashion of the pandemic toby ball what would you ban in north korea to save them from the western monster that is american and capitalism i guess i fixated on the mullet thing so i was going to say those zubaz uh like zebra pants that they used to have yes yes decadence kevin flynn what about you maybe the cronut oh yeah, why have you know? Yeah, don't, those were good. Didn't we have some of those in Nashville? Oh, uh, was that a croissant thing? That's Chris Crow. I know we had the right? biscuit yeah. ones. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yes. I forget, but yeah, something like deep fried butter, like anything you'd get at the Iowa State Fair. Don't let North Korea get that. I'm gonna say anything I have to do with the Tiger King, except oh. for Carol Baskin. She can stay. The rest of that shit, the Tiger King himself, those people whose zoo just got taken away from them, thank goodness the the you know, the Tiger King like, you know, buyout people just got the their cute whole zoo guy taken with away. all the Harley jackets. Oh my God. Mm. Those people cannot have any influence anywhere else in the world. But Carol Baskin, North Korea, you'd be lucky to have her. All right, we should probably end it on that note, but before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> Um, so I'm going to go with a dog this week. I've just pulled this. Yay! That's my favorite animal. Rebecca, I'm stunned. Um, 
<laughs> I've only said that 47 uh, other times in this but podcast. But this is a dog that we all know. It's a former past dog of the week. One of our most regular listeners, Tony Flanagan. Her dog, Tony. Lo- Tony, Lola, her beloved Lola, recently got out during the day. She didn't know where Lola was. They couldn't find Lola. So she was like, oh, my God, what do I do? And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I've been training for. So I gave Tony <laughs> some tips. Yep. And from afar, I was like, do this, do that. And she's like, I've already done all that. So she put up signs. She went on the Internet. And they found Lola. A family had found Lola. And now I have information about how that came to be. So... Her husband, Tony's husband, went to the bank yesterday, and there was a woman who works there who is always in the bank, and apparently Tony talks a lot. So the woman had seen that the post— Tony is the Laura Bricker of her She is, because she just picked up a stray dog this week as well. And so when the woman in the bank found out, she took a poster of Lola that Tony's husband had made and drove around the neighborhood showing it to people after she got off of work— so the, the random bank lady ended up showing it to someone, and guess what? They knew that this was somebody's dog now. So Lola was returned. So that was, I'm happy that she's All back. Right. Nice. I was like, oh, my God, I can't take any missing animals during the pandemic. I really can't. So that was like a bright spot in the world right now. Tony Flanagan, I think you got to follow in Laura Bricker's shoes and become your own certified pet detective. Yeah. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you perhaps on the online forum known as Twitter and ask you for tips on how they can find their missing pets, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, I really want to see those guns, Toby. Take a photo of you in your Thunders jersey. How can they find you on Twitter? It's not going to happen. Uh, it's at Toby Ball and H. And Laura, are you are you licensed to practice in California? Um. Well, it was just uh, informal advice. You Toby. think her license? Are you licensed is real? to practice anywhere? <laughs> is this a real license? <laughs> Man, I I don't know. I printed it out myself, Toby. Kevin, are you You're- licensed <laughs> to umpire high school baseball games in California? <laughs> I'm not licensed to umpire anything anywhere. <laughs> is that a transferable license or is it just New Hampshire? <laughs> That's a serious question. Like, can you like go down to Delaware and umpire once you get your license? Uh, there, there, there is a process for uh, yeah transferring. Here's what I've learned. Yeah, once you is. become an umpire, even if you're not licensed, everyone needs you because there are no umpires. Yeah. Every umpire yeah. I've worked with has been 75. Kevin has yeah. literally umpired games of like six-year-olds playing t-ball because there's no one to do it. So, Toby, if folks do want to reach out to you to see those guns, and uh, how can they find you on Twitter? I said it already, at Toby Ball and H. Listen, it's important to reiterate it for the guns. Okay, yeah, Kevin- just keep going. At Toby Ball and H, check out Strange Arrivals, do all it. those things. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and I'll offer you jobs at $60 a game umpiring their kids baseball games how can they find you on Twitter I'm at Kevin P. Flynn and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram you can find me at Reb Lavoy. you can also follow this fine show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and really you should consider joining our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media you will get so many podcasts more than 200 episodes of the Crime Writers On after show married with podcast laura bricker's leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcast our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the incredibly handsome olivia burdett the executive producer of this program is a love of my life kevin flynn yeah this show was recorded in the a lot of the day 
in Basil's Missouri. The what the fuck? The yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we store our 64-character random passwords for all of our Bitcoins. How stressed out are you, Kevin? I can't take it. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Good news. North Korean men can still... Toby... We've been doing this for six fucking years. Is it an emergency? It might be an emergency. It's his alarm going off to take his vitamins for that gun show. No, it's my son calling. It's probably something crazy going on in the basketball game. Okay. No, he's like, wrap this up, Rebecca, okay, so okay. Toby can We're watch the sports done. ball. Partners in crime media. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.